everybody. It's Ian King, founder of King Sports International and author of a number of books on training, innovative training methods used throughout the world. Let's get stuck in some of the questions we've got. Okay, John, you had the first one. Yeah, I got a client who um, he's had two back surgeries and uh, he hurt his back from squatting really heavy when he was younger. And then um, just throughout training, he's had an imbalance program and uh, it's getting a little bit better now, but from time to time, uh, in certain exercises, he'll experience numbness in his foot, which will eventually go away. But um, it's just a, a worry of mine whenever it comes about. And I was wondering if you had any insight onto why or how this happens and then what to do about it. So he's had surgery, John? Has he? Yeah, has he had surgery on the back? Two. Two surgeries, okay. So this is something that we're going to talk about a lot at the Swiss event in October 2016 in Toronto, Canada. I'll be talking on this very subject for uh, an hour and a half and the focus of the entire symposium will be on lower back and lower back injuries. So this will be a little bit of a warm-up for that, but first of all, if someone has surgery on their lower back, it's pretty serious. In fact, I, mean, I think serious surgery on any joint is pretty serious because you're fighting two things. You're fighting the, the causes of the injury as well as the side effects of the surgery. So I know a lot of people celebrate their surgery and you know, the time and a place for everything, so I'm not saying all or none, but I have very significant concerns about the implications of surgery. He regrets having them and said that the, he just had horrible experiences with every surgery he had and he's really bummed out on the doctors that had him get it. Yeah, and I, I know it feels as I was faced with that decision when I was about 18, 19 years of age on as far as lower back surgery and fortunately I said no at that time with the wisdom I have now, but um, I strongly discouraged it in, in the first instance. Uh, that there's a time and place for everything and I don't want to appear to be judging and every circumstance is different. Now, moving on to um, the, the issue of, of numbness. As you know, the, the back supplies the nerves throughout the, the body and I'd say his, his numbness is in the lower extremities, I'm assuming, but the yes. the minute you get a, a referred pain in the, into the extremities it is a pretty big concern. And it's often misinterpreted or, or uh, misdiagnosed. And a re referred nerve impingement or inhibition doesn't always start out as a pain. It could be a decrease in power output. Uh, it could be at the level that I call uh, below the, the conscious level, so it's a subconscious inhibition that people aren't even aware of that occurs. The next level is that there is a, a pain message, so it becomes aware and then you start getting the more serious pain inhibitions, um, such as you know the, the the referred pain or the, the the shooting of the pain down the lower extremities or in, in the upper extremities if it's it's up there. It's it's pretty serious when it starts doing that, and it, it means that the message is being ignored for a long time, unless it was a sudden single traumatic incident that, that produced it, um, which can also occur. But a lot of them are build-ups over time and have just been ignored because first they were below the level of consciousness and then secondly they, they, were, they were conscious of them. But what we'd all like to do is hope that things aren't changing, that it's all good, we can just keep training, put our head in the sand and hope it goes away, which is a usual approach combined with some misdiagnosis. 
So once you've got a pain that is, uh, uh, say, a sciatic nerve pain or similar where you're sitting down in the lower extremities, that is a far more um, serious situation than, than an occasional discomfort. And once you get numbness, that is right up there at the uh, even more serious end of the continuum. Now, the fact that he's got that after so many years is, is, a, is a genuine concern, and the fact that you're reproducing it is, is something that can be taken very seriously because you're basically shutting off the nerve supply to that point, and it's, the next step is ultimately, in, in the extreme sense, is to complete nerve transmission in, into that extremity, which what I'm talking about is some form of paralysis. So you're dealing with a minor form of paralysis. If, you, if, you're, if that's being reproduced, two things have got to happen. First of all, you've got to remove the exercise in the short term that reproduce that until you can reduce the, the cause of it. Um, it's definitely not one to be ignored. So I'm not sure whether that's something along the lines of what you were thinking, John, in terms of you're concerned with it. Um, yeah, and, and we definitely do that every time we do something and he has it, we just stop immediately and then we go do something else. But you never know when it's going to set off or what's going to set it off. And that's your goal. Your goal is to reduce the, the symptom and then ultimately address the cause. So using the, the numbness as a, as a measurement, are you making progress or are you not really? Um, yeah, we... It's kind of like a two-step forward, one-step back type of thing. But, yeah, we, we are making progress. And that's the dance of rehabilitation. So that's, that's quite okay. It's quite normal. The main thing is that you're making progress. And you have to be objective. You have to be um, quantitative. You have to be aware and make notes of the, the frequency and, the, and the, the severity of the discomfort or the numbness and make sure that you are heading in a direction. One of the greatest challenges when you're dealing with chronic injuries is coming up with a, a workable hypothesis to what's causing it because if you don't address the cause, then you, you, you'll never solve the problem, so, so to speak. So feel, you know, I encourage you to have a shot at, at hypothesizing what is causing it and ultimately be prepared to disregard or discard the hypothesis if it's, if it's inaccurate. But you do want to come down to be able to say this is being caused to the best of our knowledge by X, Y, and Z. And there's, there was... There's always an answer, and there's often a better answer, but you need to come up with a, a theory to start with. Okay. And that's all measurable, because once you do that, then you start addressing the cause, because the, the exercise is, is actually not, not really what's doing it to it. It's, it's the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. There, there is a, an existing cause that exists 24-7. The, the addition of the exercise or the addition of load, you know, there, there's a threshold by which the trigger is, is further exacerbated, but the exercises are never in themselves a cause. There's an existing condition that you need to address through your understanding the length tension issues and, and knowing how to change them for the better. Yeah. There, there's another factor. He's he's a really big dude. He's 6'7", 320. So he is overweight, and he's very top heavy like his legs look totally normal and but his upper body's really big but he can still you know go back in his days squat and deadlift a lot so there there are some he's, of the strong dude there are some of the some of the variables that you're dealing with uh, you know in, in themselves they may be contributors I don't think they're the, the primaries as mm -hmm. you can be addressing multiple multiple variables at once it's 
also work on, I would recommend uh, concurrently, the uh, emotional attachment to load. Oh, we, yeah, we've already, he's, he's done with that. Because most of those conditions are caused by excessive load. You know, yeah, we, we got rid of that really quickly. Yeah, load and excessive technical ability, at least. You know, not in absolute terms, but in relative terms, because there's no such thing as too much load. It's, it's load relative to the ability to either recover from it or the ability to control it from a technical perspective. Yeah, so numbers is real serious. Um, should never be ignored, should never be underestimated. All right. So you're on track with your concerns, and it's good that you've raised it. We, we all need to uh, value our nerve supply substantially. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to lose it. Uh, it's not desirable to lose it. It's easy to cause damage on the way, and the, the, the risk is the, the early, early damage is unrecognisable. In other words, the point between optimal performance and I'm aware that there is something wrong, there's a pretty big range in there where a, a downward trend can be occurring without anyone realising it. And that's where I, just, I believe most sports training is. The majority of sports training is degrading the performance of the athlete by degrading the joint health of the athlete. And, and that's why I, I've shifted my philosophy from, you know, we've got injury prevention, we've got performance enhancement. I, I don't see that dichotomy anymore. I don't see that difference. I, I think that unless everything you're doing is focused on the injury reduction, then chances are you're causing injuries. So the there's no real separation, and, and that's why I'm critical of the word prehab, which didn't exist you know, uh, during the first few decades of my uh, professional experiences. It's, a, it's an, an, an advent. I mean, all training should be aimed at reducing instant severity of injury, full stop, not just some training. So there's no there's no there's no role for me to separate training into this is normal training this is prehab training all training should be injury preventing training and this so-called performance enhancing training which I used to separate as one of the components is rarely that because for the most part it results in a degradation of joint health and muscular and nerve function. However, I digress from my soapbox once again. So here we go with that, John. Is there a second part to that, or are we done? Yeah, that was really good. I have, I have another question. Yep. Um, it's the same client. He's got a, a left shoulder issue, and uh, he hurt it from just going way too heavy on bench and on uh, heavy shoulder presses and using things like chains and bands and stuff like that. Hopefully not with and, you. Uh, just Oh, no, not with me. Um, and um, just it, just for over time, now now it's he, he has a really hard time raising it above shoulder level. Um, and it, like, pops every time. And I've talked with him about his how he sleeps and everything like that, and it, it'll get better, and it'll get really good, and then, like, something will happen, and it'll get worse. And I think it's... I mean, we've done so many things, and from what he's telling me, what he's doing outside of the gym, you know, he's on track with his rehab and everything. So I think it's just one of those injuries that he's having a really hard time letting go of, and that maybe there's some 
more of like a, an emotional attachment to it or something going on there, why it's not getting better. So the symptoms you're describing are pretty significant, they're pretty serious, and, and, and as such, I would suggest that there is uh, a physiology existing there which is linked strongly to it. And the answer it could be as simple as saying, you know, what is the difference between the right and the left? If you, you, obviously, one shoulder's having these symptoms, the other isn't. Can you tell differences by looking or feeling on those two shoulders? Does, can you see the differences oh. between? Oh, oh, yeah. Like, you can barely even touch his front delt or his uh, upper pec on his, his left side. So the rule is just crazy tension. The rule for me is really simple. Until you're, if you had a healthy side, for example, until your non-healthy side is, 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 is like the other side, then don't expect it to perform like the other side. So what have we got to do to bring it back to health the other side? That's the question. It often involves sacrifice, sacrifice uh, in letting go of certain exercises, sacrifice in addressing time to, to doing extra work um, from an from injury rehabilitation perspective. It's, it's just not good enough yet. How's that? Yep. And I always bring it back to what do you want? Do you want a, a dysfunctional shoulder or do you want a healthy shoulder? And then, you know, you know the answer. And then, okay, so we need to do more. We just, and then I, that's why in working in, in, in injury rehabilitation, which I, I don't take any delight doing so, even though we've developed the most effective ways, I prefer there to be never injury in the first place. But in, in working with anyone you know, on either side of the injury, either in the absence of or after, uh, our, our attitude is this is collaborative. We're working together. It's, it's not, you know, we don't hand over the role of rehabilitation to, to, a, to a, a third party and say to them, you know, you fix me. Everybody's responsible for fixing themselves. And, and therefore, if it's not being fixed, you've got to put it back on them and say, listen, you know, this is not good enough. Is this what you want? And ideally, I would say, you know, you know, truthfully, no, this is not what I want. Okay, so we've got to make more changes. And from a from a coach's perspective, as physical coaches, we also need to, to take that same responsibility. My attitude is, if there's an injury in your in an athlete, you're responsible for that is a failure. Now, failure not being like going you know, jump off a bridge sort of failure, but it's the opposite of what we want to have happen, and we need to take responsibility for it. I mean, at the, at the, 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 some of the most disgusting things I've heard where people are boasting about their, their competencies because they help someone come back from a, from a, a, a say, a cruise ship reconstruction. And I, I say, well, if you're involved before, how'd they get that in the first place? So any time you have someone in your care who sustains an injury, you need to take a real good look at your training program and say, what, do I, what am I doing wrong? Instead of saying, oh, you know, this happens, like most, most coaches say, this, this is just part of sport, you know, injuries happen, and isn't this fun, and, or all the therapies that are going to get an extra buck from, from the rehabilitation process. You know, as a coach, if we're not, let's say we inherit an injured athlete and they're not healing at a rate fast enough for us, and we're going to take responsibility for it in part and work collaboratively with the athlete to say, listen, this isn't good enough. I don't like this. This is not how I play. I don't roll with this sort of stuff. We've got to make changes. I'm not satisfied. Yeah, and, and this was the type of injury that when I got him as a client, he had all these before, and we've we've significantly changed his program of what he does, you know, flip-flopping certain things, taking out certain exercises, and um, it's just... He, he's the only one that 
I'm not having the success that I'd want to have with him as good. far as getting his shoulder better. Good, and, and that's good that you realize that because you know we, we should be dissatisfied in those circumstances. We should not be satisfied. And too many people are complacent and, and just say, well, wow, listen, I've got a big-name client, I've got a high-paying client, whatever it is. It's not good enough. If they're, if they're not healthy, it's not good enough. Uh, and if we've had reasonable time with them and we haven't achieved our, our, our reasonable progress, then we're going to go back to the, the drawing board and review what we're going, what's happening. You've got to understand the power of the stimulus. I, I picked up an athlete four years ago who had spent you know, 12 or 18 months under, under the supervision of uh, an incredibly quad-dominant program in a quad-dominant sport. And as a result of that, they had stress fracture of the lower back. Now, even though they only exposed that stimulus for uh, uh, up to about 18 months uh, of, of, of inappropriate training, that stimulus is enough to take them through their life. Now, four years later, we're still working to remove certain byproducts in the uh, hip flexor quadriceps region from that incredibly imbalanced training program. And I mean, it was terribly imbalanced, which explains why at the age of 12, they had a stress fracture of the lumbar. Um, but these things linger on. There's, there's no free pass. You go off and do certain training methods for, for you know, as little as three months, and you could be dealing with that side effect for the next 20 years of your life, if not the rest of your life. We, we, can't, we can't assume that just because time has passed that this, this, the training effect has been eliminated completely. In many cases, it will never be eliminated. So that's, you know, we, we have to appreciate the power of the training systems. And that's why I, I talk about strength training as being, of all the four physical qualities, the one that changes the most and therefore the one that we've got to be most careful with. You know, we can impact the person uh, functionally far faster with strength training than any other form of training. But if the training is imbalanced, then we're going to, we're going to impact them negatively far faster. And as I suggest, 99.9% of training methods are creating imbalances, then we're, we're creating a, a training effect which will, people will carry for life with a negative impact. So that's what you've got. You've got, you've got a, a training effect that, that was so substantial that it will take more or, of a, a change in your training approach to get the result. And that's obviously a tough letting go for everybody. Uh, yeah, that helps a lot. I, I know exactly what I'm going to do when I see him next. The beauty about having two body parts in, in where there is two, and one, if one is healthy or even healthier, then it's, hey, listen, is this good? I said, no, well, let, no, that's, let's keep making changes. This and, and the rate of change is determined by the rate of sacrifice. You know, the, the, there are people who, sh who should never again in their life do quad dominant exercise. That's how, that's how much of an impact their previous stimulus has made. You know, people don't want to hear that, but it's not its not the deal and end all. You've got to decide whether you want quality of life or the warm feeling that you're doing something. There, there's only so much training you can do to meet emotional needs before the price becomes too big. It's, it's, it's something that people should consider before they step out and engage in certain training programs that are very popular. And I'm, I'm being very... Um, Judicious with my word selections there. Being diplomatic because I can. Okay, so we're working with John on the injury basis. Any other questions?
Jeg vil kaste den ind. Ja, så. Nå, så er Oh no, I was done. That was good stuff. Go on. Yes, my question is, when you've got athletes who use their upper body and lower body pretty heavy, so for example, you've got a tennis player or a rugby player who perhaps could fall on their upper body as well as obviously sprinting the lower body, what are your recommendations as far as stretching before training? How's that change with different types of training? For example, a light technical session versus a, a session which is perhaps higher in intensity and volume. Like, would they stretch the whole body in that case or just focus on certain areas? It, it comes down to the loading on the joint and, and the risk that places for the person. So if a person had an injury or was predisposed to an injury, a certain joint, a lighter training session would, would require more stretching pre-training than, than another person who wasn't at risk or whose flexibility was higher. So it, it, it's relative to the loading and, and, the, and the risk or the wear that's going to be placed on by that session. Um, you know, the good thing is if it is a lighter session and if they were in a healthy state, then we wouldn't need to do too much at all if we were doing it in other sessions. But if if that was a higher risk for them or their flexibility was lower, then they would need to raise it for that particular thing. But So you can be joint, you can be joint specific in that regard. As you said, the challenge is with a lot of sports is they're a total body sport. Um, but you, you come back to the, the question is which joints at risk the most uh, and where am I picking up the stretching in the other in the other muscle groups? Because it's it's not stretching for stretching's sake. It's not we have to stretch before training. It's it's having optimal joint relationships prior to loading them. And if we don't have those optimal joint relationships in length and, and tension, then we increase the rate of, of of wear and tear of the joint. It's a really simple equation. And this absence of stretching is I, I rank it as. Um, the number two reason for most injuries, uh, you know, the number one being muscle imbalances, but number two is the absence of of reduced loading um, prior to impact or wear and tear, uh, particularly in case of an ACL. It's right up there. So this this epidemic that's been with us is is, is illness plaguing the world for since um, stretching is bad. Concept raised it said in the late 90s uh, has paid a big price with athletes. Many athletes can you know, attribute their injuries to the absence of pre-training stretching because they, they lost the battle. Ultimately, their tensions got too high and their legs got too short and ultimately they blew up. So it, it, uh, there's some discretion in that, Rob. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, any final questions? Okay, so it looks like we've done an excellent session there with our short discussion of injuries, uh, particularly to the lower back. We appreciate that. We'll talk shortly.